You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Robert, and I am joined by my co-host, Tony, and we are doing a recap of the Cusco 300. As we're recording, they are doing the finisher's banquet right now over on their website. So guess what, guys? You could be listening to this pretty much in real time if uh, if you're over on their live feed, and we're going to update this as soon as we can. So Tony, as expected, they put on a really good race. They had great coverage, uh, no big-time uh, issues with the website or fan disgruntlements or anything like that. Tell us about the <laughs> uh, the weekend of the K300. Oh my gosh, it was probably the best part of my weekend, especially since my Niners had that horrible, horrible game yesterday. But um, it, it started off great because Pete Kaiser came in for his seventh win. Um, overall, not surprisingly at all the Cusco just nailed everything about this race they dealt with several issues due to weather and they managed to keep it going without a hitch Um, just a lot of fun kept all of the fans updated as best as possible they had volunteers out in the middle of the night in the pouring rain doing live feeds of teams running in the dark on the river, which was so cool. They were chatting with fans as we were typing and asking questions and and giving a little bit of commentary ourselves. Just a really positive, exciting race from start to finish, which we knew. Um, you know, I've not been shy at all at saying that the Cusco was the race that I was most excited for this season. And I know that that's like cheating on the Iditarod and stuff, but this was really, a, really a competitive race. And the weather threw all kinds of weird things at them. And the teams, yeah, it was a little bit of a slower finish, um, but the teams did all really well. And just listening in on the first little bit of the award ceremony before we came to record everyone involved in the race was so excited to be able to have a race like they've done pre-COVID. The last few years, you know, they've been shut down, not having the big celebrations, not having a headquarters where everybody could come and, and kind of hang out. You didn't get to do all of the musher meet and greets and all of that. No award ceremony. All of that was done over Zoom the last couple of years. And this year it went back to quote unquote normal. Um, And so that was like just one of the huge positives from the race's perspective as well is that they got to see people and it got to feel normal. Um, So I think everyone from the fans to the mushers to the race organizers, they're just so excited at how this race turned out. And what's really interesting is we had our lone congressperson involved with this race. And, and, and that's interesting because, number one, as big as Alaska is, we only have one 
person that represents the entire mm-hmm. state in yeah. Congress. Uh, she is newly elected just this past uh, season, uh, election season, if you will, replacing Don Young, who was pretty much in Congress my entire life in the early 70s. And now we have somebody new, and uh, she jumped right in and helped out the race. In what way? Yeah, you know, Mary is from that area, so she's very connected. She's very involved um, in the sport, uh, from my understanding, at least during her campaign, she brought it up. Um, But the Cusco is something that she's very, very familiar with. And what happened was um, somehow, I didn't catch the whole story during the uh, award banquet, but somehow it slipped through the cracks that they did not get the permit for the fireworks. They always shoot off fireworks after the last team is out onto the trail. Uh, they, they do a big community-wide fireworks celebration. It makes more sense in Alaska for those that aren't from here. It makes more sense to do fireworks randomly throughout the winter instead of waiting for the 4th of July um, because we don't get dark in July. So you don't really get to see the fireworks. I always think it's a big waste of money when people fire them off in July because you can't see them. You can't enjoy them. Um, so their big fireworks celebration is during the Cusco. And so they find out that they don't have this permit. Um, one of their sponsors was like, hey, you know, if there's any way that you can uh, get that permit, we'll make sure that the fireworks get shipped up here in time so you can shoot them off and it came down to you know they had hit every resource and so on a whim they call up Mary Patola's office and she was all well let me see what I can do let me let me talk to some colleagues and see what I can do and I'll call you back this was on Tuesday Uh, race of course started Friday night so they needed to know by Thursday at the latest, but they really needed to know by Tuesday so that they could at least get the fireworks there in time. And um, she didn't call back right away, but he said that she did finally, in true, I have to say in true Alaska fashion, very Don Young-esque because he was always good about doing these random kind of things. They got the permit. They got to shoot off the fireworks. Um, you know, she's a hometown hero anyway, but now she's even more so because she came through for the race. Um, and that was just such a huge, huge thing, but it's totally on, on par with, um, Mary's platform. She's, she's an all Alaska girl. I'm, I'm a fan, you know, our politics don't always coincide but i i really i really do think mary has the best interest of alaska and alaskans at heart so really just a a sweet story uh to kind of start off the evening for sure and before we jump into the the finishing uh places and whatnot we do have to make a correction here and i know we mentioned on our last night's show the uh the um willow 300 about our moment in time uh, reporting, but on our preview show for the Cusco 300, we talked about it being a mass start for mm-hmm. the Cusco, and that is not the case. Uh, they do a tandem start, and I think that that's a really unique way of starting a sled dog race. Most distance races do not start that way, and what that means is 
they realistically have two shoots and two people go at one time, sort of like a drag race uh, or a funny car race where you're just kind of putting the hammer down when uh, the proverbial light goes green and you take off. That's the way they do it, isn't it, Tony? It is, yeah. They still have the two-minute interval in between, um, but yeah, they go out in pairs. It's a very Noah's Ark kind of thing where everybody goes out in twos and they head down the trail that way. I think it's easy to do when you're starting off on the river um, because they, you've got a wide enough trail for that. It wouldn't make sense for something like a Diderot when you have basically a chute that's big enough for one sled at a time. Um, but it, it's a fun little way. I think it kind of helps especially maybe a rookie team, um, get them all focused and in the right direction. I don't know. I'm not a musher, but it just seems like everybody's a little more relaxed than when they're the only one sitting there waiting as they count down to go time and, uh, always, always fun to watch. And yeah, we, we kind of, uh, misspoke there because it was the Akiak dash that happens the next day on Saturday. That's the mass start. Um, and that's one that just runs to, Antioch and back. And on that tandem start, you had mentioned um, it, it could help out the rookies. And I have never started a race that way, but just from a musher's perspective, oftentimes uh, younger dogs or less experienced race dogs get quite spooked in the in the shoot because you know there, there's fans and you know noise and all sorts of stuff going on. But if the teams can focus on another team especially if that other team's a little bit faster than they are, they will be solely focused on chasing that other dog team, which can really help with those first race jitters for a lot of puppy teams or inexperienced race dogs. And I think that that could really help out those, those younger teams. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it sounds weird because I think we're not used to it. We're used to, though two minute interval, one team at a time for long distance and mass starts. If you watch like the Kobuk, the Akiak dash, some of these others um, that do those mass starts, that even seems a little more normal than this two by two kind of situation. But I, I enjoy it because it makes the start go a little bit faster. So on a busy weekend where you've got three or four different races that you're trying to watch online, um, it helps cut down the time of, okay, wait, how long can I watch this race before I have to jump to the next one? Right, right. So let's talk about the finishers. Uh, it looks like Pete Kaiser took the race again, and I'm going to defer to you in just a second about how many times he's won this race, but he is the the hometown guy. These are his trails. This is his stomping grounds, if you will. In second place, Matt Failer, third place, Eddie Burke, fourth place, Jacob Whitcoop, I believe is how you say it. Fifth is Richie Deal, and sixth is Will Rhodes. I believe, Tony, that all of our picks are there in the top six. I know we talked about Sim Smith as the proverbial um, black horse, if you will, but obviously he's been doing this for decades, so not a true black horse in, in, in terms of it, but you never know when he is going to sneak up on you. But aren't all of our picks there in that top five or six uh, mushers? 
Yeah, I think so. I think I also, I mean, I had like a top 20. Of course. Let's face it. There were a lot of, there were a lot of names that could have done it. I think I had Dave Turner in there as one of my dark horses. And then uh, Jason Pavilla, I don't actually know how to say his last name, was kind of my, um, on my blog anyway, that was another one that I said to watch for. He was the rookie of the year last year. Unfortunately, he had to scratch He actually took a fall while racing and has damaged his shoulder, injured his shoulder. So he had to uh, scratch due to musher injury, which we don't always hear about. So, um, you know, bummer for him because he was having really a a really solid race up until that point. And there was one other scratch as well you were talking about. Who was that? That was, I want to say her name is Twyla, but I did hear someone say Twila earlier. So I apologize for not knowing exactly how to pronounce her name. Uh, Twyla Elhard, um, she scratched at the halfway point in Antioch. There's no report as to why, other than we know that her dogs are happy and healthy and back home. Um, not sure. I'm guessing a lot of it had to do with just trail conditions. She possibly had a young team that maybe wasn't enjoying the slog fest. My understanding is the race out to Antioch was much slower and slushier and sloggier for all of the teams than coming back to the finish line. Um, though if you were in the back of the pack, it wouldn't have really mattered because it did get really pretty nasty with slush and with, uh, with overflow. So it looks like uh, 19 of the 21 uh, teams mm-hmm. finished. And I know we talked about uh, in the preview, the, the purse, just how lucrative that purse is. And we talked about, I believe we said it was a $25,000 first place finish. And that may change because there were not, uh, there was not a full field. So uh, often when that happens, they adjust the purse to to uh, compensate for less mushers. And I know they're still in the middle of the banquet, but did that change at all? If it did, I didn't hear any announcements. Um, I assume that when they award the um, mushers tonight, that they are announcing the award. I, I was listening in earlier and during the Akiak Dash, for example, they were announcing how much uh, each musher won for their placement. So I assume that they will be doing that for the Kesco 300 mushers as well. And one of my favorite things about uh, these races, in particular these uh, village races, is the the gifts and the winner the winnings that a lot of these guys get they may or may not uh, be you know the top runners but they will get really cool often um, native sewn crafts or native made crafts like beaver mitts and hats and native art and all sorts of stuff I love seeing some of that stuff and I'm sure that uh, a lot of that stuff is on display during the awards banquet isn't it. Yeah, you know, with the live feed, you're kind of in the back of the room, so it's kind of hard to see the awards table. Um, We see that a lot in Iditarod, especially during uh, certain awarded checkpoints. You'll see, you know, not only does a sponsor give a gift, but it's also typically someone within that community that the checkpoint is sitting at. They're also giving um, something that's more personal as an award as well. 
Um, it's not all about the money. And honestly, watching the mushers uh, accept those gifts, I think they appreciate those even more so than some of the monetary gifts. The money is nice. We all know that it's a very expensive sport. They're not in it to become rich, no matter what the animal rights activists try to say. Um, but, you know, those beaver mitts, those are going to last a long time. And if you have ever had a chance to even just wear some of those fur parkas and hats and mitts, you will understand why those are worth their weight in gold and more because you do not get cold in any of that. I have a fur hat that I um, wear typically in the wintertime for about 10 minutes and my head is too warm. And so then I just go back to a knitted cap that is not as warm and my ears freeze, but haven't found that happy medium. Um, but you know, you know that those gifts are done with so much experience and so much love and, and sweat and tears put into that, that it, it, you can't put a monetary value on something like that. For sure. Just a couple other quick musher uh, notes before we move into any other news before we go. Uh, in our pre-show, we talked about Brent Sass, the current Iditarod champion. It looks like he finished 14th. And we talked quite a bit about Lev Schwartz in our uh, preview <laughs> show. It looks like he finished 15th. So I have to ask, mm -hmm. uh, what did uh, Mel, his wife, say over the weekend? Anything special? Oh, Mel. Um, she posted the night, early morning of the first day, first leg of the race, that, of course, mishaps happen. And, of course, Part of that had to do with the weather and she needed to get to the shed and she couldn't get to the shed because Lev in his pre-race prep, quote unquote, forgot to make a pathway to the shed. Uh, so she had to do that. Then she gets into the shed and the floor caved in on her. So she injured herself a little bit. And of course, in true male fashion, she just basically gave up on the race and said, you know, it loves on his own. She gave one more report for the weekend, which was just a quick one of, hey, I looked at the tracker. Yeah, he's still running. Um, it, it was highly entertaining, I think, for all of their fans. Um, I think she has a stronger fan following than Lev does. She got a lot of encouragement and support and laughs from people on Facebook. So, uh, kudos to her. She survived another race. Lev's not running the Iditarod, which she was very happy about, I am sure. So uh, I don't think we'll get any more Mel-isms this season, but it was nice that she did check in with the fans. And we say this, and we talked about this in our preview shows, that a lot of times the, the real action for the fans are, are, are on these individual Facebook pages, especially... Uh, if the handlers are are updating or uh, the wives, the partners, whomever, you really get the juicy nuggets on on the ins and outs of these teams. And I think that that's what makes a lot of these races really special, especially if uh, they have a very active uh, social media presence, in particular on Facebook, is where a lot of these stories are being told. So definitely check out some of these pages uh, on on social media. And I say that because Tony takes the time and effort to do an awesome blog post before every race that gives you all the links right at your fingertips where you can click on 
right there and uh, check out some of these pages. So, Tony, any other stories, news, notes, whatever, before we wrap up this year's coverage of the Cusco 300? Sure. I just want to give a shout out. Like You did a great little introduction into social media. I want to give a shout out to a couple other blogs, or not blogs, but um, social media presence from the different racers. Uh, definitely check out Kaiser Racing. I would actually suggest watching that page whenever Pete's actually racing because they give race updates that make a lot of sense. They've got a lot of technical stuff, but it's not so heady that you can't understand it. Um, but for some race recaps, definitely check out Jeff Dieter's race cap. Um, he's got a video of Q and a, um, post race from the Cusco. His kennel is of course, black spruce dog sled kennel or dog sledding kennel. Sorry. Um, he ended up actually passing Dave Turner in what they call no man's land that last mile into the finish, uh, to finish seventh. So that was very exciting. Uh, check out Matt Saylor's social media. His is Alaskan Husky Adventures, uh, or also the 17th dog, I think, will also take you to his Facebook page. He, uh, His wife posted a lot of great stuff while he was out on the race. Um, he also gave a really great interview after he came in. He came in only 10 minutes behind Pete. So a lot of these finishes were very, very close. In fact, fifth through eighth were like within seconds of each other. So it was a very busy day um, with those. But Matt just said basically, you know, his race was as good as it can get. And the only way you're going to beat Pete Kaiser out there on the trail is if you're already ahead of him getting into that first checkpoint. That's the only way to do it. Um, but Matt jumped up quite a few places to give Pete a run for his money. He only, you know, if, if they only had a few more miles, he might have caught him. And then I would also say check into Paige Drobny's uh, kennel, Squid Acres kennel on Facebook page. She's got some pictures of the race trail from her middle of the pack run with the overflow and the open water. They ran that first leg in the dark and there was open water to where they um, they said in one of their live feeds on the race page that they actually had markers with flashing lights on them to let them know where that open water was so that they could steer clear of it. It was a nasty trail. Most of the mushers said it was like running um, in a mashed potato like texture, which I imagine is kind of like if you're running on the beach and you're running in the sand and not like the wet compact sand, but you know, that more dry up further on the beach. Uh, you just can't get any traction or go anywhere in that. So it was a slog fest. Um, most of the mushers are starting to put their recaps up on their Facebook pages. So definitely check that all out and check out the Cusco's Facebook page and uh, Kayuk Radio's Facebook page. They have some amazing things. Kayuk did a great video recap of this race. So there's a lot of information on this race. If you missed it in real time, go back and watch the videos now because you will, they, they are giving Insider a run for, I did a Insider a run for their money. And it's all free. So my last question to you is before the race, you said that this was going to be like the Super Bowl of dog mushing. 
Uh, did it hold up to the hype, you think? It held up the hype for me. I mean, I was I was still unsure who was going to win until Pete actually came in. It was such a well-run race for the top. I mean, for the top 15, really. Um, but the top 10 especially, each one of them, except for maybe Sim, each one of them were really challenging for that first um, first placement all the way from the start. Uh, so it was, it was just really exciting. And for Pete to, to win his seventh, he's only two off of tying Jeff King for the most wins ever in, um, in this race. So it, we're, we're watching at our own kind of history. Yeah. It's fun to watch Dallas CV hit that fifth one in Iditarod, which we hadn't seen in decades, but I think Pete's, uh, going for all of these wins. I think that's just as impressive. The Cusco is one of the fastest 300 races, and it may not have the elevation changes of the copper, but it is an it is a difficult 300-mile race just for the different kind of weather patterns that they've had to face in the last few years. This was one of those Cusco swims, not as bad as a couple years ago, I think, when uh, Matt Failer won in 2019. That was like an actual swim. They were swimming to the finish line. But this one was another really wet one. It wasn't a fun trail by any stretch of the imagination. And for the teams to come in as strong and as happy and healthy as they did is very impressive. And I think that goes to show not just how well the trail was groomed and taken care of, but also just how strong these kennels are in their genetics, their training, and their dog care. And that's something that not every race can boast. For sure. So guys, what is coming up? Uh, we have a lot of stuff on tap uh, in the next few weeks, and I want to do a quick update of where we are at for the rest of the season because we're sort of mid-season <laughs> right now I guess uh sort of like the the uh, all-star break in hockey where they're at right now but as we head into February uh first and foremost we did something brand new here on the podcast right after our Willow 300 show we did our first ever after show bonus content show if you will and it is available over on the Mushing Radio feed, wherever you get your podcast. We are going to put that on our Patreon account. So if you are a patron of our show, you will have access to our exclusive behind the scenes bonus content after show right there. So that's the first thing. Tomorrow night, we're recording this on Monday the 30th, uh, will be our recap of the Bear Grease. Later this week, we are going to be doing our preview and recap of the Yukon Quest 550, I believe it is called. Uh, mm -hmm. After that, we are going to be doing the Yukon Quest 300. We're also going to do the Goose Bay 150. We're going to talk about the Willow Junior 100. So we're going to pay some uh, honor to the junior mushers there. We are going to talk about the Junior Iditarod towards the end of the month. We're going to talk a little bit about the Fur Rondi and its place in Alaskan history. I know this is primarily a distance mushing show, but we cannot not talk about the Fur Rondi. 
We're going to start our Iditarod coverage the Thursday before Iditarod, and I'm already getting uh, questions on my Facebook Messenger. When does our Iditarod coverage start? I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. All of these things back and forth. And Tony and I just talked about possibly doing our Iditarod coverage, our nightly Iditarod coverage. And folks, if you're a longtime listener, you will know that we start on the Thursday before and we go all the way through the night of the banquet. So more than two weeks of coverage. Uh, I think we did 17 or 18 episodes last year and uh, it was a lot of fun, but we may do that on video. And I would love to hear your guys' thoughts about that. Would you watch us on video? Would you enjoy seeing that on your feeds, whether it be on YouTube or Facebook Live or wherever we post it? Would you be interested in showing that as well? So let us know in the comments. Let us know on social media and check us out there to, to find out. So, Tony, I know when we talked about our Willow 300 recap, you said that you're incognito right now on Twitter. Where do we stand right now? And if that is behind the scenes, where can folks find you to follow you and ask questions? Uh, they can still find me on my blog at writersblock.com. You can always send a comment on any of the blog posts. I do see them. Um, you can, if you uh, find me on Twitter, I'm Tony Shell AK on there. Just go ahead and hit follow. I'm most likely going to be willing to allow you to follow. I just have to click a button to accept you. Um, I'm not completely gone from Twitter. I just had to lock down for a little bit. I'm hoping by Iditarod that I will be able to unlock and, and be public again. That is the goal. I uh, just have to wait on a few little things to kind of calm down. Um, but you can also find me on Facebook. I'm Tony Shell on Facebook. Don't add me as a friend. I probably won't accept it, but you can always message me on there. I do check my general messages. Um, and you can also follow me and anything that's posted that I post that's mushing related is public. So you can comment on that as well if you don't want to um, private message me. So there's still a lot of ways you can find me. It's just Twitter. I've got to I got to keep kind of incognito. And we might just talk about that on our next after show. You never know. <laughs> so head on over to our Patreon account. We are at patreon.com slash First Paw Media, all one word. You'll see the black paw print or the, the white paw print on the black background. That is us. And it's the same. It is the same profile picture on all of our social media. You can follow me on all social media at Robert Forto. That's F-O-R-T-O. And if you like, you can follow the show over on all social media at First Paw Media. So check us out there. Tony, it's a pleasure, and we will talk to you tomorrow night to talk about the Bear Grease. Sounds good. All right. On behalf of my co-host, this is Robert. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. 
If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.